Welcome to Play On, the Morgan Sports Law Podcast. This episode is part two of a two-part podcast on esports player rights. I'm Nick Williams, a barrister at Morgan Sports Law, and as I was in part one, I'm joined by my colleague, Julia Schwersch. As before, we are joined by three special guests, Dom Sacco, the founder of Esports News UK, Josh Ferno, player agent at ICM Stella, and Alex Wise, analyst and academy head coach at Nordvin Gaming. Let's now start the discussion where we left off. Alex, earlier Julia gave the example of Astralis, who last October were fined by the LEC for a number of things, one of them being missing salary payments. Now, Astralis isn't a small org, it turns over millions of euros a year, and it can seem as though some esports organisations see the fulfilment of their contractual obligations as optional. Do you think that's true? I wouldn't necessarily say it's true they don't think they have to fulfil their promises. I think it's more so a case of there's, I guess, less pressure on them to properly fulfill things and do things fully professionally. I mean, it's also, you know, stemming from the fact that the industry is not you know fully professional yet, but it also comes down to the other side of players, for example, not pushing as hard as they perhaps could be. And also these organizations often in their previous experiences, not being punished for them making mistakes or them not fully holding themselves to what they promised people. I think it's difficult to say how many malicious businesses there are in esports, but I mean, it happens in every you know, industry, right? But it kind of comes down to those businesses and those people running those businesses will eventually be you know, thrown out of the leagues that they're partaking in. I mean, there's been loads of issues in previous years. And I think, at least from my perspective, there's been less major ones recently. And I hope that is the continuing trend. But I think it's more so a case of just waiting for these people to be somewhat taken out of the scene. I think organizations really don't manage expectations well in lots of instances and there's a huge pressure on them to win that their whole brand the whole ethos is built around winning if you look at something like the premier league there's teams that their goal is to just finish mid-table and sell some of their players to to the bigger teams and actually have a revenue stream in that sense in esports it's very much every team needs to win this league uh, regardless and as a result they don't manage expectations properly and they, they make over promises or overreach for promises that they cannot they're likely to not be able to fulfill and put themselves in situations where actually we can't fulfill what we set out rather than be erring on the edge of caution and and, um, and perhaps under promising and then being able to add something additional. They overreach and they overpromise and can find themselves in, in problems or deep water because of that. I just like to clarify what I was saying uh, before as well about players pushing. I don't mean players pushing their organization to pay them, but more so there's a general kind of culture from players that they are there because they want to play and they're you know basically getting a job about it and they're enjoying themselves and so they much more often care about winning and you know competing and so the payment is i mean obviously it's you know, critical right but it's uh, like a secondary thing to them another major issue that came to the fore recently with the tfue lawsuit is exploitative contract terms dom now that tfue has settled with phase clan do you think that the call to action on that kind of thing will fade or is the next TFU type issue just over the horizon, do you think? Yeah, it's a good question. I think there's always going to be contractual disputes in the future. With That was a particularly high-profile case with a content creator that has millions of followers and FaZe Clan, one of the biggest organisations in esports and gaming and streaming. It's It's hard to say. I think, to be honest, I think it was good that it came out as a big news story that everyone spoke about over the past few years because that will help educate others. I think at first 
you know, a lot of people sided with TFU and were thinking, oh, he's not being paid correctly. I, I do get this sense that, you know, when people ask me about esports and the size of it, I do try and warn people coming in sometimes that a lot of the power is with players and publishers. And yes, FaZe Clan, big organisations like that do have power, but there's a lot of player power. Most of the money tends to go to the players from prize pools and obviously publishers will make money from in-game microtransactions through esports is almost like a marketing vehicle from them for them. If you look at it in a cynical way, it's a lot more than that, obviously, to a lot of people. Yeah, will we see more of that stuff in the future? I believe so. And hopefully a lot of organisations and players and streamers will have learned from that story as well to check their contracts really carefully. But on on pay, whether Tifu was paid the right amount or not, I don't know. But also, yeah, him apparently trying to form his own organisation and do bits and pieces that broke parts of his contracts, apparently. It doesn't surprise me. Uh, hopefully, we won't see much more of that in the future, but it's hard for me to say for sure. I think it will make players and organisations ensure that their contracts are watertight and maybe they'll go over them together more carefully in the future. But, yeah, I'm sure I think we'll see... Well, I, I say we'll, I think we'll see organisations using law firms such as yours more in the future, but I think they're already doing that. Again, it comes down to communication, right? Making sure that the player or the streamer understands exactly what they're getting paid and so on. The organisation understanding what the streamer can and can't do. Maybe that was a case where their contracts were watertight and things were broken on both ends, but I don't see this happen too much in esports at the top level. It's certainly not publicly like this, so that's pretty encouraging. I think while we've not bashed but spoken about some orgs that perhaps have not done things correctly i think with the the current esports ecosystem does generate or create a sense of entitlement for players especially when they reach the top level and a big part of that is because they go from a, a, i don't know if you're talking league legends you've got an average salary of maybe 1500 pound a month or something or 1500 euros a month if you're playing at your, your average erl kind of top end team if you then go on to the make the LEC, you're averaging best part of 250 grand a year, and you've just jumped from like 1.5k a month to like 20 grand a month, and the sense of money becomes a bit lost. I mean, I, I've, I'm not going to talk specific people, but when I was coaching in the LEC, we provided an office space in Twickenham, big houses in Twickenham, an office space in Berlin when asked like do you have any concerns any problems right now that we could help you like support you further as as kind of staff and it was i, I want better pillows you know what i mean uh, th th this is somebody who's uh, these are players that are owed like th they're paid like 25k yeah. a month and they've become they drives a sense of entitlement because the the orgs are so desperate to keep the player on side no matter what they'll lie to them endlessly to to keep them on side over promise them there's lots of this and it's because ultimately they want to win and it it does drive an actual not very nice sense of entitlement in in some players in which they're earning 20 grand but they can't buy their own pillow you know like <laughs> and that that's an example obviously where but we're talking this drive to win this uh everybody has to win attitude that 
does anything to bring the player on board, even if it's we can't fulfill the promise, but we're going to try and get them on our team so that they win, so that we win regardless, does create a, a very, it, it creates negatives all over the place, in, in my opinion, that hopefully we can remedy moving forward. Josh, I wish you'd spoken to me about that before. I can see the headline, Excel players unhappy, <laughs> True. ever wanting better pillows. Yeah, I mean, it's an example, but it's 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 really mad. Like, I mean, it's really mad. You, you think when you earn that much money that uh, actually, yeah, I can get my own pillows, but it, it it it's opposite to that. It's like everything should be funded for me and my money just goes into my bank, you know? It, it, it does become like that. And I think that's probably the same with footballers, same with kind yeah. of traditional sports stars. There becomes a, I'm entitled to whatever I want because I'm so important to this organization, because I win games for this team. I can just do whatever I want and ask for whatever I want and I should be given what I want because I'm more important than uh, anyone else. It's not a very nice way to, to especially young kids, you know, they're, they're, these are kids that are 17, 18 years old. They've never had what I would call a, a traditional job. They've not had to do something they don't like for money and that they come through this system where we don't create, it doesn't necessarily create kind of better human beings that, are, that are, have so much value they they just lose the value of money because um it's thrust at them so quickly i think gaming in general like gives you a big ego you can see it from solo queue and whatnot like on twitter there's so much drama coming up sometimes when you know have the highest level players seeing each other all the time in solo queue so they know each other and then one is like calling them no names or or something and the other was like wow you're playing you kill you think you're so like famous and whatnot like i think ego and like entitlement in gaming in general is is an issue so i'm not i'm not surprised mm -hmm. saying about the pillows and stuff i mean how do you solve that problem is it capping salaries is it better education for players i mean it's I mean, that problem is only going to get worse as more and more money flows into esports. What can you do about it? I don't think you can, honestly, because the best players will command the best salaries. If you look at someone like Faker in Korea, or whatever he's worth, seven figures is often reported. You know, how, how are you going to I, cap that? I mean, Riot could cap, I guess, but... Uh, yeah, I don't think that they should necessarily be capped on the money they should be given, but I think that there should be... It's really hard, and I, I struggled with it at times, but I was trying to build towards a culture in which nobody is replaceable, and you have to earn what you get. The issue with League of Legends, we're talking, if we're talking League of Legends, a big part of the issue is you have five players, and you don't have a team without one of those players, so you have to have the five players. If one of those players is not working hard and is not displaying the attitude, not displaying the culture that, that, that you're setting out as an organization and they are put on the bench, and they don't get to play next week. That's the most important thing to them. It, it's not the paycheck. As I said, or as Alex said, if if they if they get paid, that's that's great. They're getting paid for what they love doing anyway. They would do it. They they did it for voluntary, most likely in the past anyway. So obviously, there becomes a point where we have to start having kind of life tethers, mortgages, relationships, or whatever we need to fund, rent, anything like this, bills. So there becomes a time where it has to come from a hobby to a job. But I think it's really on the orgs to develop cultures. It's not just solely like, we'll give you anything that you want as long as you win games for us. But actually, there's an attitude and there's a professionalism that you need to display. And if you're not displaying that, you're not playing next week. We see that in top tier sports as well, yes. right? On the weekend, Aubameyang was cautioned 
and didn't play because he arrived late, apparently. And it didn't no. matter that he's Arsenal's best player. What yeah. mattered more is that he disobeyed the, the the rules that were set out for the for the team. And if he got away with that, the message it sends to the other players is, well, whatever. If we're winning games, it doesn't matter what we do. We can do yeah. whatever we want. If I'm the best player in, the, in League of Legends for my team, it doesn't matter what I do because the, there is no repercussions for that. I get to play and I get to play anyway. If mm. that person has to sit on that bench next week, they will soon stop doing those things. I, I can guarantee you that in the in the Arsenal case that Don's talking about, Aubameyang will not be making that same mistake next week because he didn't care. It, like the 300,000 in his pocket or whatever it might be is lovely. But when you've already got like 10 million in your pocket, the 300,000 is just additional. The, the, mm. the point being is that he wants to play football. And same with these League Legends players or, or other esports players. We're very much in a, we've created a culture that's just no matter what you do, if you win, it's fine. You can, you can be rude to your teammates. You can disrespect other people online. You can do mm. whatever you want. But if you're the best League of Legends player, it's fine. And it's not fine. That's what we need to drive forward, I think, as, as people that work in teams, staff. It really starts with the grassroots, I think, and, and teaching them the way of the world because it's really hard to stop that at the, the highest level unless you really kind of are very forceful. I was just going to say, I think it will definitely improve. Something that's worth noting is that in the past, a lot of these organizations would pick up star rosters and just basically have the best players and aim for those best players. And now you're seeing a lot more teams invest in academy rosters and uh, coaching staff, of which, you know, in the first few seasons of League of Legends, for example, basically didn't exist at the highest level. Some teams just didn't even, didn't even have coaches. And as you invest more and more in these structures to improve players and actually have the, you know, the, the organization build a proper staff around those players, it will become much more about how the organization deals with their roster, more so than just the star players. I mean, you mentioned Faker already. Uh, Faker was, you know, benched for several games in the recent years. He's been <laughs> having other mid laners there have been these star rookies, you know, take games off of him on SKT. And it's, you know, it's something that will, I think, continue for other star players if they don't put their weight in. I think we're very poor at this in the West compared to compared to the the Asian countries. I think we're very driven by the spotlight and very driven by the, the, the winning culture rather than creating the long-term team culture that you're trying to strive for. We're, we're very much, no matter what it takes, we're going to win at whatever cost of the the unhappiness of the team or the 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 disrespectfulness from your players whatever it may be we're, we're and a lot of it's the investment and i mean i experienced this firsthand at excel in the people that call the shots are the people that put the money in not the people that know what they're doing and as a result you end up in a scenario where winning comes at, uh, you trying to build something long term often you don't get the long-term chance to build what you want to build and you don't get the results immediately you're out the door and um with that comes a pressure on staff pressure on people to to look at the short term look at the next three months look at next week's game as to uh, they judge the success on on a weekly basis as opposed to the growth over over a period of 12 months two years four years five years Uh, and um you, you just get very quick, sharp, sharp increases and sharp decline, sharp increase, sharp decline, as opposed to a steady ramp up to something that's a more fruitful long-term project. I think it's also because rosters on like lower level change very frequently. So, so orgs working towards some long-term goal, like they're not going to be that interested in it because the roster might change in the next split, right? So all they care about is winning because if they win, they're going to get more and better sponsorship deals or some other deals and better players, essentially. 
So I think they also, the orgs try to make the outcome be the best for themselves and not necessarily improve the gaming culture. Trouble with that is, though, that their assets go for free at the end of each split and they don't get any further next split than they did this split. A lot of the orgs, in my opinion, have to start taking players that are willing to accept longer-term deals, that are willing to have a buyout in their contracts, uh, regardless, even if that player is a slightly lower level than the player that won't accept that, because you have to be able to put something into You have to create revenue stream out of selling your players as opposed to just you sign for two months, the player goes for free. You sign for two months, the player goes for free. Ultimately, the orgs, the semi-pro orgs or whatever, a lot of them are not progressing unless all of a sudden the sponsor goes, look, I want to do a deal with them. That's the only way that they actually really progress right now. And that's very few and far between and where that occurs. There has to be more revenue streams created for these organizations by themselves, by just kind of business nows than than what they, what currently exists. Changing topics to something that you will no doubt have you on, Josh, player agents. Do you think that the uptick in professional representation by lawyers and agents has been positive for esports? I think when done well, yes, it helps for sure. So I, I obviously moved into agency at the start of 2021 after spending, devoting my kind of adult career, being very on the forefront of trying to develop players being very player development focused bringing players through and whenever they left me i wanted them to be a much better player a much better person than when they they kind of started their journey with me that that extends to my agency career and and really that's my view but obviously i've been speaking to lots of players over the last three months about me potentially representing them and i've heard horror stories on the agency front as well where i mean ultimately the agent was in it for their cut and uh, not in it for the players' welfare, the players' growth, the players' progression in in their career. So, I, I think the industry, the esports industry, is very amateur hour, or started as very amateur hour, and is moving in a direction just like we were talking about, kind of organization owners being incompetent. There's incompetence in every single role in in, in esports. There's incompetent coaches. There's incompetent players. The, the the thing is, the players easily get found out because you can't be an incompetent player for long because you just don't get onto teams. The 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 people behind the scenes, you often actually the the work doesn't get seen unless you work with that person. And as a result, until you work with that person, that person doesn't get weeded out. So it takes a long time for these people to kind of be weeded out of the industry. But where competence is present representation absolutely is really important for upcoming players the stars of tomorrow i think when it when it comes to kind of you're very much in the absolute infancy i mean i'm i'm taking on people there's a 17 year old lad who i've just taken on called no name who is very promising uk players effectively made next to no salary at all yet but i want i see potential in him and i want to try and help him grow and being 17 i mean i've spoken to his parents i've made links with his parents i've spoken to him about kind of my intentions for for his career and how i can help him progress uh, and we're building a really good relationship and that that's exactly what i want and i think more representation should be about is actually taking a player kind of under your wing making up for the lack of ex- life experience making up for the lack of business now making up for the the fact that this player just wants to play League of Legends and will take any rubbish deal to play League of Legends because he just loves it so much and actually having someone there that won't accept that for you but will will try and put you in the absolute best place where you can develop but will also take care of the fact that you're not going to be exploited because you're happy to play for free because you love the game. For me, it's really about two years down the line, 
when my time is up with this player in particular, I want to have, to have kind of stabilized his career so that he's very much more clued up on the business side of things. And I mean, maybe in those two years' time, we, we extend that deal further and I continue with that guy. But I really want to put players in a much more well-rounded, more educated position from my representation contract ends with that player to when it began. And if I can do that for as many players as possible and ICM Stella fully trusts me to to be able to to kind of lead on that project and maybe even have other agents working alongside me or, or beneath me if I, I kind of educate them, I really think that it's something that's massive in the industry and can, can really develop those players. Stop a lot of this stuff happening that we've been speaking about throughout this podcast. Do you have any insight on how young players might go about finding a good agent other than obviously signing up with your agency? You know, when looking at the offerings that are out there, a lot of them have exploded suddenly on the scene and seem to have gained a huge number of clients in a relatively short space of time. How can a player tell the good from the bad on, in terms of getting an agent? It, it seems quite hard. Just it, looking at I the think websites. it is quite difficult. I think the, the benefit I've got is that ICM Stellar has been successful in everything it's done over the past 25 years, and I've got that behind me. It's still somewhat questioned because it's not been done in esports. It's been done in traditional sports, in the likes of football. ICM is a very huge agency over in America with uh, talents such as Beyonce and uh, Samuel L. Jackson, pe- people like this that they represent and do a great job. And I think that holds some weight in the sense of these pay- these people's careers have exploded and become they've become top stars of the world in, in what ICM's done. And representation is representation kind of somewhat regardless of regardless of the the industry that it's in if you can if you can look after someone's best interest you can look after someone's best interest but in terms of finding the best agencies it, it it's a bit uh, like i was talking about there's it's a little bit too much in my opinion trial and error a bit like you you have a coach on your team and it's trial and error whether he's good or not you 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 have a you join an organization it's a bit trial and error of how good it is and how much they fulfill we trialed munster last year and it just was bad we know that now but that back then we were not to know. I think it's just that the agency's building a rep- reputation. The thing that, uh, again, is most followed is like, uh, to be honest, in my eyes, it's too much like this. But if you get a good name for yourself on social media, you are good, whether, whether you're actually good or not. <laughs> and this extends to players, coaches, staff members, agencies, everything. If, if, if 1,000 people on social media say X player is the best player outside of the LEC, there's orgs that, are, that genuinely just go to that player and give that player a trial, regardless of even if they've seen them play. Which is really baffling, right? Because in any other industry, it doesn't work like that. Your, your proof is in your own pudding, not in what everyone else tells you. But we're very social media driven. I think for me, ICM Stella is uh, uh, we're building on something where the word will spread about how how we have the best the players' best interests are. Everybody says the right things, right? But ultimately. It's the actions that that pay dividends in the end, and it can only be a time thing for me at the moment. But um, in terms of a, a new player going, okay, what is the best agency to go to? I think that's it, it's hard. Not enough players have representation right now, and I think as that grows, there will be better word of mouth for some and, and worse word of mouth for others. We're almost out of time, but there, there's one last question I'd like to very quickly address before we wrap up. Player agents are obviously one solution to this. A slightly more collectivist response are unions or player associations. We've seen that tried in a number of different esports. You have the Counter-Strike Players Union, also in League of Legends in North America, you have a players association that's run by Riot. Julio, what do you see as the key challenges 
that might stand in the way of running effective esports players associations and unions? An issue for players to unionize is the fact that esports career in general is rather short. Competitive players constantly change. I think like lots of players are very young. They retire, I think, before the age of 30. And there's also a threat of a game to stop, uh, stop being popular. Obviously, there are some titles like League of Legends or CSGO that have been going for years. There are other titles which can just stop being popular like that, right? As soon as another game comes out, they're also being popular. So making a union for that specific game would not be beneficial for the players. I think also a lot of players haven't really been uh, hugely proactive in trying to make a change. Uh, for example, as you mentioned, the NALCS Play Association was actually made by Riot Games. So it didn't come from the players themselves. It was Riot that was like, okay, you should have that so that your, your right would be protected, which can be argued that it was just a marketing stunt. So I think those are the issues. And also when you have the players, they're mostly young players. And so running these sort of unions requires some certain amount of maturity so you need those young players to want to take up those leadership roles and players who care about their rights and who know that they have rights and they want to take care of them. So from player perspective, from a player who is 16-year-old, because those are the players that actually take part in, in those leagues, they are not as aware as a player who is 23, let's say. So I think those are the biggest issues in forming a union currently. And Dom, do you think we'll be seeing more players, unions and associations going forward despite those challenges? It's hard to say. If you look at the success of existing player associations, I mean, I think when the, the Counter-Strike Professional Players Association was set up, there was a lot of positivity around that. There's also been some criticism of it as well it's really hard to say unless I think I think ultimately like the intentions are good right from the players associations so I think it'd be nice if we can get to the point where every game has a player association but it's like organizations we were talking about earlier you want to make sure that the player associations are properly run you probably need the publishers involved in them you know, there are third party organizations out there like the Esports Integrity Commission, I think it's called ESIC, which works with some publishers to clamp down on match fixing, you know, ensure there's the right penalties in place and so on. With player associations, yeah, you need to make sure that it, well, who's running them, you know, is, are they credible? What are the, uh, the rules in place? Are there good links with the publishers? And then as well, beyond player associations, there's lots of national associations now around the world, like the British Esports Association, there's ones in France, all, all over the place. I think we'll see more of those bodies that don't really have, that aren't really governing bodies and they don't have power as such, but they're established to help promote esports in their different regions. I think we'll see more of them. I think... Most of the countries around the world, well, a lot of countries around the world have those associations already. But again, in some places, in some instances, there's a lack of, I don't know, integrity or, you know, making sure that people have good background or understanding of 
esports. Do Do you think that these like stuff like a uh, British Esports Association stuff, Dom? Obviously, your experience working there and things mm. could, I mean, get more involved with the. Uh, they're very much on the grassroots level, very much introducing people to esports, very much on the educating parents on on like their kids getting into esports and such. Mm. Do you think that they could get more involved in the actual esport and helping add a professional outlook to, I mean, like maybe educating some org owners, trying to support teams in the disputes like we had at Munster? Just, just mm. basically a place where people involved in esports in that country can seek counsel, really, because I feel like, I mean, I've had interactions with British Esports Association. But very much on a, how can I help them promote esports to other people? I do think there's a space for it now, more now than there was a few years ago when it was set up five years ago or so. Uh, it's about to celebrate its fifth anniversary. There was a bit of resistance to that in the past. Who who are these guys? Why are they they can't govern anything? Whereas now, I think there is more of a need for that. And I think you might see British Esports working a bit more closely with some of the organisations in the UK, possibly. Mm. But yeah, it's how that, what that looks like. Yeah, you know, I what, guess what powers do they have at the end of the day? There may be some conflict of interest now if, like British Esports Association, for instance, people that fund that or, or go into that actually have shares or, or investment into certain teams like Resolve. Now there could be some conflict exactly. of interest there, right? Yeah, because exactly. They're, they're investing their own money into one particular organization in the UK. And why would they then help the other esports organizations that are, that, that are going against that team? But I think perhaps that that's something that needs to be looked at. But I, I think these esports associations in my eyes should, while introducing new people is brilliant, actually make what we've got a good and sustainable situ- like system. Uh, mm. that that it's currently not. I think stuff like the British Esports Association would have much more access to kind of brands that were interested in getting into esports into as well as introducing grassroots players, introducing grassroots coaches. Maybe they could put on workshops to help players to understand what is becoming a pro. What does that mean? Like what mm. so going from your bedroom playing League of Legends or esport to becoming a professional player. Stuff for coaches, stuff for staff members, stuff for running businesses. Lots of room for education in the space that is currently not exploited. Josh, yeah, I'd definitely. absolutely love to talk to you about conflicts of interest, but I, I think that would be a whole other hour of podcast yeah. recording. <laughs> and unfortunately, we have run out of time. So on that note, we'll wrap things up. Thank you very much, all of you, for joining us and being so generous with your time. It's been a really interesting discussion and uh, we're incredibly grateful for you, for you taking the time out of your day, uh, even at this early hour of the morning. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, Yeah, thanks for having us. So that concludes part two of this two-part series on esports player rights. For analysis and articles on athletes' rights issues, please go to our website, www.morgansl.com. If you're interested in joining our mailing list or there are any topics that you would like to see addressed in a future podcast, please email us at podcasts at morgansl.com. Finally, please connect with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram and Facebook for articles, updates and news. We hope that you enjoyed listening and will join us for future episodes. Play on.